1111. Welcome, friends. So great to see you gathered this morning. And as we come together, we want to let you know that, surprise, I'm not Tom McDermott. He's away on a time of vacation with his family in Michigan. So we wish him well and send our greetings to Tom and Linda and their family. So welcome to 1111. Those of you joining us online, whether it's right now in the moment with us or later as we're streaming, we want to wish you well and welcome you too to this experience of gathering, music, and reflection and worship. So it's great to be with you. Uh, this morning, um, I really don't have many announcements. There have been a few on the screen. I want to uh, remind those who are visiting, you are our special guest today. And if you don't like me, come back next week. It'll be much better. <laughs> there are gifts for all the visitors at the back table, and they are tumblers that you can have as a gift. And anyone who wants to have one, who is one of our regular members, can make a donation and have one for you know, as a gift. So thank you for being here. This is a fun time together. That it's a meaningful and beautiful day. We're going to kick it off with our amazing 1111 band, Ants Marching.
we want to follow that by welcoming you this morning. If you are online or if you are here, we are so very, very glad that you are with us. Um, I noticed in our worship guide that the very last song is entitled, Treat People with Kindness. And I think welcoming is such a great kindness. And so now our candle is lit. You may light one at home if you would like to. And the words on the screen are correct. So if you would join me in welcoming each other. Come, come, whoever you are, wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving, it doesn't matter. Ours is not a caravan of despair. Come, even if you have broken your vows a thousand times, Come yet again. Thank you, Margaret. You're the best welcomer of all. <laughs> 11 11 people, y'all, would y'all please stand and sing this song with us? If you've been with us before, this is an old time, uh, like a solid 11 11 one, so you'll know it. If you don't know it, sing along anyway, it'll be fun. <laughs> Lyrics are up here on the TVs. Here we go. Oh, and it's time to bring your offering on up to the table as well. It goes just like this There are no steps to this sacred dance Just your feel of your feet on the floor Yeah, Arms in the air, as free as your birth and as simple as a wave on the shore yeah. The voices you heard have no power here Find a rhythm that fits how you live right. Silence the critical voices inside us That strain our lives through a sea God of pleasure and wilderness Grant us the wisdom to dance with creation Be our prayer. 
Long work, everybody. That was great. Would y'all take just a moment and offer one another a sign of peace? Pretty please. We're going to move into our reading today, our gift of story. This is Kelly Reeves. Welcome, Kelly. And for a program note, I'd like you to listen with some, a critical ear. We're going to hear this reading from 1 Corinthians 13, which I believe is a really powerful passage and will be the basis of my sermon later. This is the message version. It's a modern interpretation and paraphrase. And then later, right before I preach, you're going to hear another version from the New Revised Standards. So listen for the differences that you hear. Very interesting. So take it away. Good morning. This is for 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 3 from the message. If I speak to human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's words with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I jump and have faith and say to the mountains, jump, and it jumps, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I'm gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. so many parts that I have hidden and denied and lost there are so many ways that I have cut off my nose despite my face there are so many colors that I still try to hide while I paint and there are so many tunes that I secretly sing as I wait. You came along and invite these parts out of hiding. Oh, this invitation is one that I've stopped fighting. Oh, thank you for seeing.
Thought I'd die never being truly known There were so many moments Forever lonely in my vacation You came along And you celebrate each feeling Oh, and there you are All honor and inquiring Oh, thank you for seeing me I feel so less alone Thank you for getting me I'm healed by your empathy This intimacy There was a day When the trust that was being asked of me Thank you, Elena, and thank you, Ben. Uh, we always enjoy hearing your music every Sunday. Um, I need uh, Mary Ellen asked me to do the Kairos time immediately before the service. <laughs> okay, so normally a person has a lot of time to prepare a week, you know, several days to prepare for that. She said, "Would you do it?" I said, "Sure." I said, "I have no idea what I'm going to say," and then a thought occurred to me. One of my personal biases and beliefs is that worship, our time together, is a time to practice what we should be doing all week. Okay, hopefully a song touches us in some way with a phrase that uh, helps us through that week. Uh, the message, of course, of the preacher is very important. The scripture reading, uh, we're going to listen for the differences in the scripture, and maybe that speaks to us in the coming week. But what's the deal with the Kairos time? Well, traditionally in this service, it is a time for us to quiet ourselves, to settle ourselves. And I think that's what we need to learn to practice each day of each week. I have a special place in my home where I sit in my chair and I look out the window at six bird feeders that I placed in the backyard. And I watch the birds with my cup of coffee in hand. And I try to take a few deep breaths and just settle myself for that day. Where's your place? What do you do to practice calming yourself, settling yourself, centering yourself? And so let's practice. Get comfortable. You want to put both feet on the floor, however you want to do this. I hate instructions from the leader. You know, do it this way because your way is your way, okay? Maybe you want to close your eyes. Maybe you don't. That's fine. But let's just be quiet for a few moments and settle ourselves and breathe deeply and just try to find that quiet center.
Let us pray. Holy One, for the quiet center where we know that you are, we give you thanks. Good morning again. It's such a joy to be with you today. I'm Mary Ellen Barrow, and I am a long-term member of this church. Back when I was in seminary, some 23, 24 years ago, I joined First United Methodist as a layperson, and then I went to Southern Methodist University, Perkins School of Theology, and finished a Master of Divinity. But when that year came to go into a church setting and do parish ministry, I had the opportunity to do hospital-placed ministry, and I fell in love with that setting. I worked at Methodist Hospital in Dallas for the summer unit, and I worked with gang members who had been in terrible accidents or violence, with persons at car accidents, house fires, trauma of all nature, and it became clear to me that these poor hurting people desperately needed that shepherd presence of love and, non and non-judgment, and it fit well for my gifts and graces, as we say, as United Methodists, and that's where I've been for 23 years. It's like a blink, and here I am, I have a pulpit, sort of, so... <laughs> So I have a lot to say. I hope you don't have any plans later. <laughs> I've waited a long time for this. 
<laughs> I promise to honor your time today. But it is a joy to be with you. And I want to tell you, when I came back from San Antonio, where I served as a staff chaplain for about eight years, in 2013, I've been back in this 1111 community since that time. And this has grown to feel like home to me. And I want to thank you for that. I want to tell you that I love you. Even if I don't know you well, I have great affirmation and admiration in my heart for all of you. Because I know what it means to be here. I know what this community is about. And that's really what I want to talk with you about today. Because I think this 1111 community reflects for us the beauty of what our faith looks like when we live it out. A few weeks ago, we had a question and answer session with Tom and, and Cynthia Powell, and somebody asked this question. They said, what questions are we asking at 1111 that inspires us to look deeper within ourselves? What a great question. If that's not faith, I don't know what is. And then someone else asked, what is love? What does it look like? another powerful question, the kind of questions you shape your life around, right? Well, this is something that continues to amaze me about 1111 community. One of your best characteristics, because I know you, I see what you do, I see how you live. One of the things that you do is that you show what it looks like to embrace perspective. Think about that word with me. Everybody has their own perspective. And it's a thing that amazes me about this community because you're willing to do the hard work of thinking about what matters most in life, not just for yourself, but from a variety of perspectives. Now, something is required, requisite to do that work. And I'm gonna talk with you about that today. So after all this time, in the Central Texas Conference as an elder, and the journey and chaplaincy and the work that we do, I have come to experience my ministry as meeting the most beautiful people on the worst day of their lives. So that's my sort of trigger warning for you. I'm gonna talk a little bit about my experience, but also about the beauty of how we together as a community are impacted by loving others from our perspective and from theirs. So I have the privilege as a chaplain of journeying with people just a little while on their Via Dolorosa, their way of suffering, their pain. And it feels like we're walking a little bit together for a little while through the valley of the shadow of death. And I get to be that Holy One companion. And I never imagined that I bring God into that situation. I find that God is already there. And I just get to be present with them in the hard places that we experience in the hospital world. So another part of my work is a little more administrative. And I facilitate family conferences where we work really hard to try to figure out what the best path is for this difficult situation. We pull out any advanced directives we can find, we read them, we explore together. What did this patient want us to do in this unexpected scenario? We never planned for this. And then we figure out, okay, how do we honor the values, wishes, and perspective of the person in the bed who cannot talk to us anymore? It's hard work, but it's rich, good work. And it's so important to be able to think from someone else's perspective in those critical times. And that's one of the hardest things to do, that we ask family members, tell me what your loved one would have wanted. Well, heck, we didn't talk about this. We didn't know this was coming. We didn't plan for this. This is the last thing we expected. So you have to really step outside yourself in what you normatively expected. After 23 years in chaplaincy, I see glimpses of absolute beauty and grace when persons in terrible pain rise above their own grief to speak the values of those who cannot speak for themselves. It's so beautiful and powerful. One, there's so many difficult decisions that people make, but 
one of them that really strikes me is organ donation and tissue donation. When people make those decisions to do that sort of thing and have that opportunity, it's really not what anyone expected. And I've been in many conferences where we talked about that. Well, on a lighter note, <laughs> back in 2017, I had elective surgery. I got to be the patient for the first time. I would rather be on the other side of the bed. Thank you very much. I really like to keep all my clothes on <laughs> when I'm out in public. Just saying. <laughs> but I got to be the patient, so you know what that means. And <laughs> um, before I checked in, like the day before, because I'm, I'm sort of a procrastinator. Thank you, George Sutton, <laughs> for doing the last minute, Kairos. Um, I decided I really better do my advanced directive. I'm going to be under full anesthesia. I need to do this. So I did the paperwork. I help people do that all the time. It was no big deal. I got witnesses. Not a big deal. So I called my sister because at the time I had not met this wonderful man and I was single. And so I called my sister in Louisiana. I said, I'm designating you as my surrogate decision maker. Here are my wishes. And every one of us has the privilege and the responsibility of making those choices for ourselves. So there's not a right or wrong answer, but there are important answers that you need to tell people that love you and make decisions for you. And I told her, you know, if, if, if you know I'm dying, please allow me to die peacefully and comfortably. I don't want to suffer if I can avoid it. And I don't want to just lay in the nursing home bed indefinitely if I have a way not to choose that option. So I need you to let me go if my death is imminent. That's my wish. And she said, Mary Ellen, now this is my sister in Louisiana, Mary Ellen, I thought you were a minister. Don't you have faith? Don't you believe God can heal you no matter what? I said, absolutely. But I don't need to wait indefinitely for decades wearing a diaper in a nursing home to get there. That's my personal wish. She said, well, I'm, I can't do that. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to believe God will show up and, and show out and heal you. And I said, well, great. Hold on to that belief. But you cannot be my surrogate decision maker. <laughs> if you won't honor my wishes, you can't be my power of attorney. And I chose another chaplain friend to do that for me. Who would say, okay, she's done. Pull that plug. <laughs> she has preached her last sermon. Well... That was an interesting, eye-opening experience because I'd never had conversations like that with my family. It revealed a lot to me about our differences and what we believe. And, you know, people don't talk about that. They feel uncomfortable. I like to think about doing an advanced directive as Murphy's Law Insurance. <laughs> if you plan ahead, maybe it'll never happen and you just will never need it. Uh, but, you know... What amazes me about those people in those situations where they're called on to speak for their beloved, their loved ones, they show this level of empathy that surpasses any human expectation. It's so beautiful and so powerful. And, you know, I've done some study and, and reading about empathy. It helps. I believe empathy is the prerequisite for compassion. We can't really be compassionate people if we can't experience empathy. Think about the perspective of other persons. And, you know, I love how Brad and the band and all of our graphics guys, they all work together with this theme to try to drive this message home that if you hear nothing else today, it is when you leave, go and practice empathy. If you don't feel it anymore, if you're burned out and compassion fatigue. Foster empathy within yourself. And I'm going to give you some tips on how to do that in just a minute. Why practice empathy? It just makes us better people. More moral. More upstanding. More godly, if that's a value for you. More righteous. Whatever that word that fits that bill of what the best of being the human being that you've been born to be is, that's it. It requires empathy. So research has proven that people with higher levels of empathy are more likely to help others in need, even when doing so cuts against their own self-interest. Isn't that interesting? By nature, we're born as pretty self-oriented, almost selfish kind of people for survival. We're hardwired that way. 
because we want to make it till through life. Life is hard. But when we practice empathy, we're growing to that higher level of thinking as a human being. Empathy is contagious, and this is what reminds me of 11.11. When you practice it, other people are inspired to practice it too. And they want to outdo each other in showing love and empathy, and I think that's beautiful. People who show empathy become more altruistic. Empathy reduces racism and prejudice. Empathy is good for your marriage. Who knew? Being able to understand your partner's emotions deepens empathy and empathy and boosts relationship satisfaction. Isn't that cool? It's fundamental to solving conflicts. Anybody know of conflict in the world? Just a little bit? Empathy reduces bullying in schools. It helps children be kinder to one another. And I have a great story from Mary Gordon, the um, innovative leader of Roots of Empathy. She tells this story of a little girl. They were working in the kindergarten with six-year-olds in a terrible inner city, I say terrible, a difficult school to be in, an inner city northeast campus up not far from New York. And these children were suffering because they were picked on on the way to school. They were scared to leave and go home for fear of getting beaten up or mugged on the way home. And they were just not being very nice to each other because they were being in a defensive protective mode. So they, they did this empathy training with these kids, and they were teaching them to get in touch with their feelings and talk about that as an early step in the process. So they're sitting in circle groups. You know, you know how kindergarten kids do. And they're, the, the question is, tell us about a time when you felt sad. And one little boy says, well, I was sad when my cat died. And another kid said, I was sad when my parents got a divorce and my daddy moved out of our apartment. And then another little girl shared with her classmates, I'm sad right now because my mommy can't afford to buy food and feed me. And they're probably going to take me away from her. And there was this silence in the group as the kids contemplating that contemplated that kind of sadness. Well, they went on and finished the exercise. And the next day, they gathered together. And Mary Gordon is there to begin the next session. And she sees the little girl come in who had shared about her mom and the food. And she's over at the cubby taking off her coat. It's the Northeast, right? She's putting her cubby, her backpack up. And one by one, her classmates start going over to her quietly, individually, whispering in her ear and giving her something that she shoved in her backpack. And Mary Gordon was curious and thought, what on earth are they doing? And she stepped over close enough to overhear some of their conversation. And the next child that walked up said, I'm so sorry about your mom. I brought you some food. And she gave her a Ziploc bag full of pretzels and two red shiny apples. And she said, I brought some extra food for your mom too, because she's probably hungry. And Mary Gordon said with tears in my eyes, I saw what empathy looks like to the empathy expert. Empathy is a powerful thing. It promotes heroic acts. A study by Samuel and Pearl Olner found that people who rescued Jews during the Holocaust had been trained at a young age to practice empathy by taking the perspective of another. Isn't that interesting? Well, empathy is good for the workplace too. Managers who demonstrate empathy. I'm a manager. It's happy. But when I practice empathy, I can see that they're much more satisfied with their work. And they, they're not fearful of my authority, so to speak. I think about the story of uh, Charles Dickens and A Christmas Carol. Ebenezer Scrooge really needed some empathy training. Let's just be honest, right? And I think he got it with his nighttime midnight visitors. So here's some ways to practice empathy. Listen actively. Give your full attention when someone's talking to you. Look at them. Make eye contact. And this can help build understanding and trust. Practice mindfulness. We just learned about that with Cynthia, and we're constantly doing our Kairos time where we're exploring mindfulness and being present. Beautiful thing. Take a step back. 
When you're feeling like you're overwhelmed, just try to gain a different perspective. It's a beautiful thing. Breathe. Take a moment. Allow yourself some grace and some self-compassion. Show your support. Being supportive can validate other people's feelings, especially when they're struggling. And it requires empathy to do supportive acts. Educate yourself about things that people struggle with. Whatever you feel led to, whether it's a cancer group or uh, people who are homeless or people who are hungry, whatever passion you feel, go with that and explore it and find your empathy to grow within that moves you to action. So as we get ready for the band to come up, I want to share with you one more story that was a really powerful moment for me to observe empathy. So I'm going to call the patient Jennifer, and her family called her Jen. And after a wonderful week at summer camp, this was back in 2001, Jen's mom and her three children were driving home to Fort Worth after being at summer camp, like church camp, for a whole week. And just after sunset on that hot July night, they were driving through downtown Fort Worth on I-35 when out of the blue, a car came barreling in their direction in the wrong side of the highway and hit them head on. They couldn't avoid it. So they show up at the trauma ER and I'm there to respond as the on-call chaplain. And the mother had a terrible and a broken arm that they set and put her in a uh, sling. And the two younger brothers in the back seat wearing their seat belts, they were shaken up, but they were okay. But Jen was sitting in the passenger seat on the front side and took the brunt of the trauma, had two broken legs and a serious head injury from the impact. It was terrible. So as they got settled into the night after the ER experience, Jen was transferred up to the neurotrauma ICU and the other family was... I took them to the family room where they could be together and kind of get updates from the doctor because she was in just terrible uh, critical condition. Very, very unstable. On a ventilator, we're doing everything we can, measuring the, the measure of pressure in her brain because the swelling was increasing and she was just really in dire straits. Well, as I sat with the family in the family room, of course, they prayed and they cried and they pleaded with God to save their beautiful blue-eyed, blonde-haired daughter. Beautiful young lady, in perfect health. And the mother was sitting in the room and she pulled up from her bag that had been through the accident with them, Jen's Bible. And they started leafing through it and they read passages that she had highlighted or underlined and they read aloud the notes that she had written in the margins. And the verse that we shared today was one that was her favorite. Let love be active and vibrant in your life. So before long, um, the doctor came in and he gave the terrible, dreaded news that her brain stem had herniated and her pressure was too great and she had lost all reflexes, which meant that she had become brain dead. And, of course, they responded with great grief and, and tragedy. It was, it was so sad. And I just sat feeling overwhelmed and helpless and hoping that I would find some way to comfort them in this difficult time. And then a social worker came in, and she um, got permission to send in a representative from LifeGift, the organ procurement organization that works in our area. And because Jen was in perfect health and she was on a life-sustaining ventilator and all of that, she was a candidate for full organ and tissue donation. And of course, it, it's just an overwhelming decision to have to make so soon after you learn of someone you love so dearly being dead and not able to recover. So they reflected on the options and talked together about Jen's life and what she would want them to do and what they wanted to do and how hard it was to think of her life ending and letting go and the whole process that people work through in such a short time. 
And they shared about Jen's life and the stories that she had touched so many people on mission trips with her youth group and leading the children at Vacation Bible School and becoming just this last week a junior camp counselor. And she was so proud that she could finally help in that way. And she was constantly living her life as the just model young person that she was born to be. And they agreed that Jen would want to do organ and tissue donation and that they learned she could save up to eight lives and touch 75 more with tissue and organ donation. People could survive because of her, her gifts of organs and tissue. So they agreed, saying every time, this is what Jen would want. And right before camp, after the OPO representative left, the mother shared with me, Jen told me a story at breakfast a few weeks ago about a man who received a kidney donation and was able to get off dialysis. And she said, Mom, that's a miracle. If I could ever do that, that's what I'd want to do. Not having a clue what that entailed. Incredible perspective as her mother remembered that conversation and made the decision to donate fully all of her organs and tissue that were eligible. And I sat with them as they signed the papers and talked about all the options in the plan. And then when the OPO representative was leaving to go begin the process of matching and placing, which happens right there in the ICU, Jen's mother stopped her and she said, don't you dare give my daughter's liver to an alcoholic. A drunk driver just took her life tonight. And then her mother started <coughs> weeping. And she said, don't pay attention to me. I'm just angry and hurt. You give whatever matches best to whoever needs it because that's what Jen would want. She would probably say, maybe it'll help them change their life. So we just had this amazing night together. And then, not long after that, they attended, family attended the Life Gift celebration dinner that they have annually. And I was able to connect with her again and tell her how impressed I was with her ability to think from her daughter's perspective and to show such empathy and kindness in her great, great grief. And I said, tell me how you did that. She said, well, partly because of my faith, but mainly because I love her so much. My only daughter, I had no choice but to honor her wishes. And now she lives on and all these other people we've just seen on the screen. And that is her second chance at life perspective. See you. 
joy to be with you today. So good to share part of my story with you. I hope that you found some places there that connect. And I hope that as you prepare to leave this place, in all our beautiful diversity and vulnerability and strength and power, we are better together. And we can be powerful in the empathy and love that we show to one another. May you go in peace, knowing that love is the path that we walk. Amen. <laughs>